morning, good afternoon, good evening, good whatever time it is. Welcome to Living Truthfully, episode 64. And if you're just joining us, let me tell you, we are on fire. We are listening to the story of Mr. Solomon Gitao. And he's telling us a story about his journey as an alcoholic. And I don't know, we left this story at a place where I imagine must be rock bottom. I imagine it must be rock bottom. He, from uptown boy living and growing up in Raptor Road, console, apa, now finally in a bed made out of a cardboard in St. Teresa's Clinic in Italy. Alcohol imekwisha sayo. I was. You know, imevaporate. Imevaporate because you're looking at the veranda here. You have never slept outside. You, I told you previously, I only thought that it's mad guys who sleep on the street. But again, you have you have no you have no choice. Ishapita satano siku. You don't have any money. You don't have anywhere to go. And so the only thing is to tell the guy me asleep that said near the wall ball. Yeah, at least you keep yourself out of the way of traffic in case a car jumps over the curb. <laughs> and uh well this guy, I mean he's used to it, he gives me a sack, I put my feet into it, gives me a uh, black sheet of paper to cover my face. I cover my face and uh, as soon as my head, I was drunk so, you know, even though I've so bad kiasi but as soon as my head hit the pavement sleep took over and kidogo, it's 5.30 and there's a watchman screaming in your ears and kicking you guys out of the place to Kenya get off the veranda and you wake up and realize that it's 5.30. I saw her. You get off the veranda. Aya. Now, at that time, I won't tell you the addict. The devil really knows how to trap guys. At that time at 5.30, one thing I realized is as soon as you get up, the Karubo places open at quarter to six. <coughs> So the 15 minutes. What time did they brew it? Allah, this thing can be brewed even in the night. These are places. These guys are out to make money. So the Karubu place opens at quarter to six. So the guy who gets out of his sack and has something to buy Karubu, there's even incentive. The first 10 guys in the Karubu place wakinunua ya shilinginane wanachote wakikombe ingine. So there's plus incentive. Which keeps guys going there. Bogov, buy one, get one free. Yeah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> for, for for the first ten, kila subui. Imagine so what that. We, what will what will make guys not be doing their kilasiko? So it was my first night in the street, and uh, of course, uh, you pretend you know it was a very tough experience, but kidogo. Uh, after a few more nights in the lodging, I kind of figured it wasn't so bad. And, uh, you know, one time when money was little, I decided not to pay 
again for lodging i slept in the street you just make sure you buy a, a guy of the street uh, since you don't have your own your own uh, stuff to cover yourself you just make sure you buy a guy of the street something and he'll lend you some of his stuff and it started becoming now uh, a few days in the street a few days lodging at the middle of 1997 around the middle of 1997 I became a full-fledged street person. I stopped pretensions at lodging. I stopped going, you know, to a lodging and now it was just drink and in the evening you go to sleep in the street. You quickly get very dirty. And so that means you cannot go to town or to hustle anywhere else. So you have to find I wasn't you know I, I wasn't uh, brought up and or and taught to beg I always know you have to find your own ways to make your shilling So I had to find a way to make a living on the streets And a friend of mine living there just asked me hey you have 20 bob Say, yeah as 20 20 bob bought a sack And with this sack I went and opened my own garbage collection company. I became a one man garbage collector in Isili. Basically it's not a hard job. What happens is, eh? The garbage collection in those days was not uh, even now it's not really sorted out upande kama za Isili. So chokoraz you just go with your sack, you knock on somebody's door, they give you takataka for a certain amount. So for me, I would knock on doors, somebody gives me some rubbish for five bob, another one for ten bob, another one five bob, baby. By the time I fill the sack, I have about 50 bob. Then you hepa hepa na uko in the estate with city council and you find a place to dump that rubbish. Now the dumping part is the part you be careful. Because now you're a street guy. And if by bad luck Kanjo catches you you'll be beaten within an inch of your life you know nobody takes street guys mm-hmm. to the cop mm-hmm. station you just so waste of time there's no money then dicker them properly mm-hmm. so once you've um, you've dumped the rubbish you have 50 bob go back to the karobo place and now with your 50 bob i told you you get 24 shillings you've got your alcohol Six shillings, you the got cigarettes. your cigarettes. So you have 20 bob left. Mm-hmm. Now this 20 bob, uh, you have to figure out how to eat. I quickly found out a way. With 10 shillings, armed with 10 shillings, you can go to the back of some two hotels, Sana Sana is a Somali, and uh, you rummage in the rubbish or among the rubbish that you are throwing out. You find those, you know those karatasis that used mm-hmm. to cost 10 mm-hmm. bob, those mm-hmm. green paper bags. Yeah. Yeah, you shake out one and you present it at the back of a restaurant with 10 bob. Now they've got this bin where they throw in all the waste food. All the waste food. So whether guys were eating fish, whether guys were eating burger, whether guys were eating chapo, whatever it's being eaten, they empty that for you into your paper bag. And you walk out with your paper bag. Go find a place to sit. Unatoa maganda ya ndimu, unatoa ya ndizi, kama kuna chupa ilivunjikia hapo ndani. And you make a meal of what is left. Once you have eaten 
and being enterprising. You don't want your ten mobiliers going to waste kabisa. You also find some two little paper bags and repackage at least four to small packs. These ones you will sell to your fellow guys in the streets for five bob, five bob. Now taskia tam tu apo akisema na ujua miss kulagi chakula ina nyama. I'm not, I'm not even laughing for bias. It's <laughs> funny. No, no, it's, it's all right. It's, it's the way. It's just, <sighs> just. I'm giving you a peek into that. <clears throat> My goodness. So here, you know, this meat you're talking about. This is the stuff that somebody gnawed on and chewed on, and put their saliva all over, and now they couldn't eat it. And that, that's 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 what the guys are saying. You can't eat meat without. You can't eat food, food without, without meat. So anyway. You kula so you once you sell these other four you got like extra 20 bob una shilingi 10 ya kuamkia asubuhi and life goes on and i got into that life and it became my normal now i want you to notice one thing i have moved the budget from 100 to 50 to 50 bob and even that 50 can make you another trade uh, exactly this since there was an issue as uh, since there was an initial investment of 10 let's just say it brings in <laughs> <laughs> brings in 10 yeah. so you'll still have 50 60 shillings at yeah. the end of the day yeah. but here's the thing you see um that's like from some expensive alcohol to where you are at that point that slide there are many guys who are on that slide they are still there in the expensive alcohol but if they don't seek help i hope my story will help them not to reach the part i am going to now so anyway to kind of layer and you get into this grind it becomes the everyday thing and uh Ah, uh, 1997 Christmas. I spent in the streets. Where is your family at this time? Where are your well, folks? Do you have siblings? Where are they? Okay, I, I, I have, I have, I have, I have parents, but they live on this other side of town. You know very well. There's a social divide, but on Moy Avenue, uh, this side, and Moy Avenue, <laughs> the other side. There are some folks who don't cross Moy Avenue down. So they don't look for you. They don't. They don't look for me because one of the things is, me and my girls are running away from home. Mapema. Mm. Me guy who in secondary school I would take off from home for a, a couple of days. I'm the kind of guy as I told you when I started distancing myself from people, I just distance mm. and that's it. So my family kind of just let let it be. So let there's nobody be. yeah. There's nobody who knows what's what, going on what's with going you. on. Yeah. Probably in their minds that this guy is just outside there drinking himself and when he gets serious in life he'll come back, eh? Where I am at, I have slid into that system. Mm. Somehow when you've got until down there, you have no more responsibilities. All you do is maintain your daily high. And you completely refuse even to think of the situation you are in mm. and i maintain that 97 christmas i was there 98 new year i was there 90 uh, the, the whole of that year 99 i was there in fact 
when things like the bomb blast happened, I was still in the streets. And I continued to maintain that until in 1999. Somewhere in that year, I started reflecting upon my life. Somewhere in that year, I started thinking about uh, why am I in this kind of situation? You've been in the streets for how long? Uh, at this, this point? Was, uh, from mid-97, now this is 99 there. So at least two years. Yeah. And you start thinking about, uh, it's two years and something, and you start thinking about why? Why is this, why is this going on? But at some point also, I came to realize, you know, I'm not going to get out of this life. I couldn't see a way out. Now, life in the streets is cheap. Every day, I want to tell you a money. There's a ritual that happens in the streets. Every single day when you wake up, uh, the place we were living in, you know, we're just guys arranged in a sack on a shop front. Eh? And every day you wake up and one of the rituals you do is you shake the sack that's next to you. If it moves, it's alive. If it doesn't move, I died. And actually, sometimes you even envy the guy because, you know, for him, his torments are over. And for you, you are just beginning. But what you do is if he's dead, you, one guy just grabs the side of the head and the other one grabs the side of the feet and you move that sack to the main road where the city council can get and dispose of it because you don't want to spoil where you are staying. I'm really, do you know where the Wait, old bus station no, is? No, hold on, hold on, yes. hold on. I don't think I've heard you correctly. Yes. You're saying every day in the morning, you wake up. You wake up. You have a ritual. You have a ritual. Life is cheap. Okay, let me follow uh, uh, that a bit. In the streets, for as much as you can argue about food, most everybody is high. Okay? You need to be high to sleep on those streets. So you could have had an argument about food, that kind of food that I was telling you that we get. And a guy, he's high on his dope or whatever he's high on. You don't have doors in the streets. A guy will simply just check the sack in which you are and shove a knife into there. You of course had a guy who probably drops a rock on your head in the night. A street person's life is cheap. And nobody cares about it. So every morning, you fast. Shake the sack that's next to you. If it moves, it's alive. If it doesn't, it's dead. And if it's dead, you cannot afford to be kicked off your shop front because you left a dead body there when the shop, when the shop owners come. So you first move it uh, to the bin uh, to the to the to the tarmac road. We used to live. I don't know if you know where the old uh, bus depot at Isili yeah, was. It is. I know directly opposite. <coughs> uh, even today, I still pass by sometimes just to see the spot that was mine. Wow. We lived directly opposite. Ours was like a place we called Kileleshwa. Why? Told <laughs> you to social hangups. <laughs> ours, <laughs> ours mm-hmm. had an overhang. Mm, you know, these like two shop fronts with an yeah, overhang. Yeah, so like if it rains, yeah. uh, so if it rains, so you're There was also a cologne single tree that grew somewhere there. 
Kanjua has a long take and it out, but there was like a lone single tree, so we're in the leafy suburbs. Just things you comfort yourself with when you're there. Anyway, that's one of the things. Death also comes through disease. The vagaries of weather. The sicknesses. Zina guy drinking karubo, his liver fails or other body organs fail and so death is not uh, it's, it's not a big event. It happens. Uh, as you get dirty like this, one of the things uh, you must realize, Amani, you know how hard it is for a chokra to get a drink of water? Here I'm not speaking about a small child. I'm not speaking about a woman chokra. I'm speaking about an adult male chokra. Do you know how hard it is for them even to get a drink of water? No one wants to hear you. You are a man who wants to hear you. You approach whether man or woman, if you as a male adult chokra, you approach a woman, the first thing she instinctively grabs her bag and veers off into a different direction. Any man you approach starts squaring his shoulders and starts spoiling for a fight because they have already they already think bad about you. So getting you, you can't turn up at a restaurant and ask for, for, for a drink of water. You'll be told because society holds you in at a contempt because of the way you physically you physically appear. So if a chokura cannot get water to drink, sometimes we'll break guys' water pipes. You find a leaking pipe somewhere, you wound your water pipe somewhere. So if a chokura can't get water to, to, to drink, where do you think they will get the water to bathe? So you stay in those streets. A month goes by. Two months go by. Three months go by. You have bred hair lice. You have bred Lice on your clothes. The lice has become so much that no matter how intoxicated you are, you are unable to sleep. Unajikuna, you play guitar on your ribs throughout the night because you are unable to sleep anymore. And at that point in time, at only that point in time, do you sacrifice five shillings to go to the river? If you pass thicker road, Somewhere just before Utali, below Utali, on the side of the NYS houses, you will see Chokuras going to bathe over there. What you would then do, it was also a ritual. You carried a mkebe, a metal mkebe, with which you went to the river and some pieces of, you collected some pieces of tire along the way. You go set a fire of three stones, unayakelea mtungi, you put your clothes inside there, and you literally boil lice. I'm not shrubbing. I will repeat it. Boil lice. Chawa. Chawa. Mwanaume mzima on God's good earth in your 30s and this wasn't the life you were born into. You start to ask yourself questions at some point. I had witnessed how many guys had died on the streets. How many had gone to be buried in unmarked graves somewhere. And I didn't want that to be my end. Somehow I didn't. Somehow even 
though I was living that life I felt I wanted to go out of this world in a different way. But what I was sure of is I, I was going to go out of this world. So I had a plan. I would go to my father's place and I would kill myself. Now, this is 1999. I've stayed in the streets over two years. Mm-hmm. Street life has become a life I don't want anymore. The only thought I have about my parents is that I go to their place and kill myself yeah. so that they may bury me. That's the only thought. I'm not thinking reconciliation. I'm not thinking about getting back together or anything. Somehow I feel my life is too wasted to ever get back into society. And so, um, one day, you know, the guys we picked a kataka from, uh, these guys sometimes they give you a shirt or they give you some clothes. And one day a guy gave me some clothes. And like in normal times, these guys would give us clothes and you go and sell them, uh, these new clothes you go and sell for some karobo quickly. You go and exchange for karobo quickly, quickly. But this time I went to the river, I bathed, put on these clothes and decided to go home to my father's house. Here's my mentality even by then. Had I even had the fear? Had I even had the fear? You'd have drunk it first. No. Mm. I... My mental state was such that I could not even have entered a matatu. Oh, because of how yeah, you feel about yourself. You are, you yes, have been yes, perceived yes, yes. by people. People have put you down there. Back even in your own mind, you've put yourself down there. You can't enter a matatu. But anyway, I didn't have the fear. I just had the clothes. I started walking. My father at that time had a house here on George Padmore Road, Kilimani. Mm. And I walked from those sides of uh, below Tali up or the river. I come to George Padmore Road. Other places are still there. I haven't been home in 10 years. 10 years. No communication, no nothing. Maybe in those 10 years, they might have in the early years, maybe like a hello somewhere. But it's been 10 years since I was home. But my father still lives in the same place. I go knock on the gate. Watchman opens. Of course, he doesn't know me. I just tell him, ask him whether Musa Kilanga is there. Musa Kilanga is my kid brother. He tells me, I say, go tell him he's got a guest at the gate. He goes in. I wait at the gate. It's been 10 years. And suddenly this huge guy with sideburns, Nalini, walks out of the gate. And for a moment, I can't even recognize my kid brother. I had left him as a Total. Mm. It was about nine when I left. So, walk over. And we kind of, me, I can recognize him, but he has a hard time recognizing me. But we reintroduce ourselves and we are brothers. Kidogo, even though time has passed, Tuna Patagudwana, Tuna Frayana, and uh, tells me father is in the house. I'm not prepared to see my father this time. So, uh, tell him, look, let's take a walk. Let's catch up Kwanzaa. So he take a walk. And now I want to know uh, about, so how how's the family doing? Mm. He tells me him, just like my father, he was going to be a pilot. He's done his uh, private pilot's license. Mm-hmm. 
the next two months he's going to the states to do his commercial pilot's license that is the yeah. last one we are only three in our family that's a kid bro that's my kid bro i asked him about my kid sister told me oh Ah, Rita went to America, she went to the Art Institute of Fort Lauderdale, got her degree, got married in the States, and she is living there. And here is the first one, Solomon, the most pampered of the lot. And I'm a street man. You know, at that point you know, there is no way you're coming back into society, my friend. Your siblings have moved on. Your younger siblings are successful. What are you but trash? Even the people who call you trash in the streets, they are right. You are nothing. So I continue with my plan. I I can't tell my brother that I live that I live in the streets. So I just tell him I'm experiencing temporary financial problems, and I'm living in a slum for the time being. However. I will be able to get out of the slum but currently there's a rat infestation in the place. I need his help to buy some rat poison which I'll exterminate the rodents when I get home. And he says okay, it just sounds all innocent and everything. And we walk around, we walk to Adam's arcade and we buy the rat poison. When I was buying the rat poison, this is a brand called Red Cat. At that time, I had seen a guy in the streets consume two sachets is in the street sometimes guys just give up the will to live and mm. they will take their own lives eh? one day a guy in the streets had just said instead of drinking today we am buying rat poison he had bought red cut two packets he had kunywad as we watched and uh, in the morning he was dead so me I'm sure if i drink four for I, sure i for sure i will die there i will collapse there So when we got this for we walked around talked some more in the evening we came back towards home and I sent him to get me something from the house. So we went in and it's about seven o'clock in the evening. And uh, there's a kiosk near near the place. Mm. So I asked for some water to drink. I get the cup of water, I move candle, I cut a cut off the four sachets of red cut, mix it and colorize it vizuri. When my bro comes back, now I know I'm going to die. And these guys are going to bury me. And somehow that seems to give me some satisfaction. That's I, my life. Let it end this way. At least this way I have a decent burial. That's all that's going on in my mind. And my bro comes back. I throw him the faucet. I drink, first of all, the concoction. And then throw him the four empty sachets. And I tell him, bury me. Bro runs back to the house and he comes back with the cook and with the watchman and they come with a jug of milk and try to force me to drink it in the process the jug falls and breaks and we start having a fight and my brother really gets angry and starts shouting at me and stuff but here's the thing me I expected as soon as I drink a man I would collapse mm. <laughs> Because that's what happens in the movies, Bwana, not in real life. <laughs> I tell you, my bro came back. They tried to force that milk. I am fighting with them here and I'm feeling no effect yet. You know, at a certain point, I'm going to drink Chinese stuff. 
it seemed like this wasn't going the way it was supposed to go and yeah. suddenly my brother is so mad and he's shouting at me and telling me never to come anywhere near him and to have nothing to do with them and there is no effect I'm feeling and now even that can last bridge the last possibility i ever had at coming back to normal life i have come rebuilt it with my brother and immediately burnt it confused i just took off then i started walking running towards sides of adams because just going towards says ngong road because now i didn't even know now what i have drunk the poison now what I collapsed when I was crossing Gong Road I collapsed on the you know round there used to be a roundabout at Adams Arcade yes yes basically roundabout yes. Kitambo yeah I collapsed on that thing and I blacked out now I would have I don't know possibly I don't know if there was any thought that went through my mind but what I do know is that early next morning I woke up in excruciating pain a pain I have never felt before and would not want to feel again first thing that came to my mind when I woke up was pure regret I was alive I hadn't died then the second thing is the pain and the pain was plenty and i knew i haven't died but i want no part of this pain i have to seek help must have been before six in the morning so i half crawled half walked got off that was 19th october i remember that next day there was some holiday and there's a kenyan holiday on that day yeah i half walked half crawled towards the side of winners because at Adams at uh, Woodley Estate. Yeah. There's a friend who used to be with in Apaki Tambo called Joshua Odera. Kina Joshua Odera still had a house of sides. I knew, you know, guys of Woodley wanachiago manyumba. Generation after yes. generation. So I went and uh, I get to their gate. It's not even light yet. And I knock on the gate which comes out. It takes one look at me out thrown up on myself I've soiled myself I look at total mess he tells me to go away and I tell him just go in there tell Joshua Odera Solomon Kilanga is asking for him if he doesn't know and doesn't want to come sawa sawa the only thing that changed the watchman's mind was the fact that I knew his boss's name so he goes in uh, tells Joshua and uh, friendships formed in school and pretty deep one they can come to you in your time of need because Joshua just came explained to him what the problem was i explained to him what i had taken and i blacked out but Joshua took me to their servant quarters carried me with the watchman and Joshua never involved the police in this he called another friend from days of school who was a doctor and those guys attended to me for 3 weeks at Joshua's house at Joshua's house in the servant quarters for 3 weeks or so uh-huh. until i started feeling i was a bit better but here is the problem now amani and this is where i was now approaching rock bottom you haven't reached rock bottom i, I was 
you are quickly approaching it i am quickly approaching it now i have been home my siblings have moved on they are doing well their older brother is a chokora how can you what could you ever say in their presence how could you go back into that into their social circles impossible that's your siblings you have tried to commit suicide and the people who have helped you are guys you were probably brighter than in school one is a lawyer one is a doctor yara chokora those are your peers they have moved on so your siblings have moved on your peers have moved on everybody has succeeded here is what demonstrates to you that you are the epitome of failure even the simple act of suicide has eluded you you have failed even in that you have failed even to commit suicide you are at the bottom of everything and all of us guys who are addicts down there we know one thing that at the end of everything if all else fails there is that option i can end it all but even that i have failed what else is left for me so can i just show when i start getting better they start trying to offer options maybe we can help maybe as i said and i'm asking myself he's a lawyer this is a doctor are they going to make me messengers in their in their in their places of work or what kind of help are they talking about there is we are too socially distanced to try anything together so when i'm feeling better i ask Joshua to give me a little bus fare he does and i go back to isili i give me about a thousand bob or so so I go back to isili to my 30 bob lodgings i'm still feeling sick so i'm not drinking as much and but of course a thousand bob is little <coughs> in a short time i must be been in november of 1999 and in a short time the money was gone and by december of 1999 i was back in the streets as guys spoke about hyped about the millennium and it is those were things i used to hear or things yeah like there was so, a thing called uh, y2k bug yeah all those yeah <laughs> y2k bug but you see a chokora is like a stone or the pavement or something it's not a live, it's not a thing to people people will pass by as they talk if even a, a newspaper vendor you go there to look at the newspapers and he chases you away like you can't read like you you know there nothing but i was pretty aware of all those things and january came I have the luck or misfortune of being born very early in the year on January 8th the year 2000 I turned 34 at 34 yara chokora you live in the streets you have no future you have no hope You have tried to commit suicide and have failed in that. You're on the street. What options are open for you? 
and I started in that from the time I turned 34 I just started losing the will to live by February of the year 2000 I knew this that that, that was that was that was rock bottom for me that that, that was now completely where that was rock bottom and I began to have regrets about my life and at that point you now you start quitting the blame game that you've been blaming all things on all other people mm. and you start looking at your own role in your own tribulations what were your contributions you know as your tribulations mounted you 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 made a lot of contribution to it and you start looking at those things but it's too late and there's nothing that can help you and nobody who can help you you've just messed up too much in february i decided i cannot i've already tried suicide so i'm not going to try again i don't have the guts to but i'm not going to take any active participation in the affairs of my life anymore and so i stopped garbage collection and every morning when we were fukuzwal by the watchman at 5:30 i went to the karubo place and I lounged there the whole day if somebody bought me alcohol i drank if somebody brought me that uh, food that we got i i couldn't i i would eat but i didn't want to play an active role in my life and then in that february at that point where if things you i think god has you at a certain point where if something now happens positive in your life you will never attribute it to anybody else but god you cannot say that your friends or your family or anybody did this for you because at that point um at that point in time a fellow chokora who lived on the same street with me announced to us that he had gotten saved he had found the lord and first at first you know we just dismissed him as guy he is a chokora he's living in a sack on the same street with us And you know the street community is just like a kawaida community there are married guys there are bachelors <laughs> what they are what what they aren't they are divorces single women are not there going those are quickly snapped up <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but uh, bachelors are there going now come was a married guy and he lived with his wife a few sacks down the road, down down a few sacks down from me and this guy actually says he's found Jesus he's found a pastor who has told him God has a good plan upon his life and you know we look at Kamo and we almost beat him because this is nonsensical can't Kamo see where he's living at can't Kamo see the, the circumstances around his life but for me i kind of thought that Kamo had smoked bangi for a very long time all <laughs> this constant <laughs> companion and me i thought you know it's finally got to him he, he's gone mad 
it's eventually driven him crazy. Mm. But Kamau persisted. And he kept on telling me about uh, about God and God having good plans upon us and stuff. Kamau first quit cigarettes. I thought, okay, he's done well. Kamau quit alcohol. He would visit us in the Karoo places. He's not drinking. He's okay. But Kamau hadn't quit Bangi. And because Kamau hadn't quit Bangi, and I knew that was his main problem, mm. I knew Bazi, this guy, ah, until the day he quits this, then maybe there might be something in what he's talking about. Mm. And one day Kamau quit Bangi. And when Kamau quit Bangi, I knew. Kamau must have found something. And I wanted what this Kamau had found. Because Kamau also began he had changed you know and i started wanting desiring whatever kamau had found but the problem was you know kamau would tell me it's about god let's go see this pastor who spoke to him and etc now first of all for me the concept of god was something i couldn't even imagine i mean look where is this all loving all caring god when guys are living in the streets and uh, you know eating rubbish like we ate in the streets when you leave off other people's leftovers when you collect garbage from their home so that you know you can just keep body and soul together where is this god so for me the concept of god when life was so cheap on the streets and the mistreatment that you see on the street the humiliation the deprivation the degradation of uh, uh, street people where 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 would you imagine this god to be So for me the god issue wasn't working. Kamau on the other hand would insist if it's not that way then there's no way he can help me would be back to square one. This went on for some time until the 26th of March the year 2000. On the 26th of March <coughs> I remember this time is a time when I'd given up active participation in my life so The day before, somebody had come on the 25th, on a Saturday, and bought me plenty of karubu. He had then left me 20 bob. So Sunday the 26th, and I really, you know, like how God can orchestrate something. On the 26th of March, the year 2000, it was a Sunday, and I... woke up with my 20 bob threw off my sack and rushed to a karubu place of course by 7:30 or so I was drunk and kamau comes in around that 7:30 and tells me look let's go see this pastor let's let's just go just go talk to him and that day a certain i just i just felt the need to just go and blast this pastor who had been preaching to Kamau all of this maybe because I wanted Kamau to stop bringing me this nonsense of his maybe there was some other curiosity in me but I just felt the need fine let's go and see this pastor and actually the drink I had in my hand I gave it back at the counter and asked them to hold it for me as I went to put this pastor in his place And that was my first introduction to GLC because I went to see the pastor and I found that this was a guy running a place he was a church minister he had identified that even though he's a church minister he is a bishop 
of a church. He has churches, but nobody wants to be in the, involved in the affairs of chokoras much, especially adult male chokoras. And so, out of his own pocket, he had one day, you know, he used to feed feed them kidogo, and one day he had just asked one guy way back in '96, you know, wouldn't you like to change your life? And uh, the guy had said, okay. So Bishop had housed him somewhere at a workshop he had. He took him in, he housed him, fed him the word of God, gave him a change of clothes, uh, you know, made the made, gave him a conducive environment for transformation, and the guy transformed. And so he had started taking in other guys. So I came in and I found there were a number of guys I knew from the streets who were already there. But I wasn't buying into this. Ah, ah, man, you I was not still not bought onto this God. Even if you've seen hope in front of you. Let me tell you. Mm. As a mistake, I don't know how many other people make it like me because for me, I could see there's hope. These are these are guys I used to see in the streets. Yeah. But the way it's coming, it's packaged wrong. There are issues of God here. There's issues of what this pastor has got to say. Things that to me are not things I can kubaliana with. You're not, they're not acceptable. They're not acceptable. This help is coming in the wrong way. But I call for the pastor. So after seeing these guys, the pastor was called. And Kwanzaa he comes in. I'm not even overly impressed with this pastor. Short man with a wide smile. And uh, I start blasting him. What are you feeding Kamau? What are these lies you are telling him? And he comes to disturb us in the streets. And that guy just imagine he just smiles and tells me God has good plans for you. This infuriates me. I go into, <laughs> I go into a screaming frenzy trying to get this guy irritated because at the same time I'm also trying to get him to get angry. I It's like I want mm. him to purposely get angry yeah. and throw me out so yeah. I can prove to come out this is just another guy. Yeah. And we walk off. But after after I scream and shout, the guy just tells me, God has a good plan for you. Figured a place, I told him, look, okay, I can reason for myself. So I don't need reasoning from you, but I'm going to ask you questions. Mm. And if you can, that that book that you refer to, that's the Bible, but then I didn't want an association yeah. That book you refer to, if it can answer my questions, I think I'll probably believe you. Yeah. And he knew his Bible. So I would ask him questions. And he refers to the particular chapter and verse that addresses this. And sooner I started seeing, just maybe this guy might have something. I was 34. I had begun drinking at 13. I'd passed through that I had all the things that I had passed. That had been 21 years. 21 years, beginning with some very just uh, <laughs> social thing with a few peers to ending up drinking it in the streets. In between some single fine malt whiskeys to ending up in a place where you're drinking karobu, the scum of alcohol. From a, 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 a pampered middle-class kid to the scum of the earth living in the street. That had been 22 years. 
And I asked him, can your God take alcohol away from me? And he says, yes. They ask him, so what do I have to do? He tells me, kneel down, we pray. I'm only have never been infuriated with a guy like that before. <laughs> 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 And I, what is, you know, I, I feel this guy, how much of a simple tone is he? Mm. What is he talking about? Prayer. Prayer. We pray. About 22 years I've been down this road and you're telling me a simple prayer can work for me. And I really was angered and I showed him, but he continued telling me, God has a good plan for you. Oh, God can orchestrate something. And for me, I may have walked away. Mm. But once again, I noticed that among these guys who uh, who have who are living here now, these are ex-street guys, but now they are smart and eat, you see. I noticed they were, they were cooking tea with milk and bread. Mm. As in the street, versus, I had not uh, partaken a delicacy like this for a long time. So maybe in my mind, I just figured out, okay, let me wait for their prayers. Then I have some uh, tea. I have some tea. I mean, I've already wasted enough of my time. I might, uh, I might as well make up for it with some tea. Yeah. So I could barely to be prayed for. And knelt, I knelt down and they prayed. And they laid hands on me. And they prayed till my knees ached. At, at one point I wanted to discard the idea of the tea. And just walk. <laughs> <laughs> and mercifully the prayers came to an end. And they said, see mama brother, I saw you get up. And they Oh, guys are standing around you, welcoming you to the kingdom. You're wondering, what's wrong with these guys? What kingdom? You feel Z. You mm. felt nothing. Mm. Nothing, Kabisa, you felt. But uh, you are polite. So we had the tea, and once again, the streets. These guys, somebody says, hey, to make chemshia magia kuoga. Say, oh, okay. Some hot water and a change of clothes. And I had not bathed for years with hot water. So I agreed. I gave out my lice-infested mm. clothes to go and be burnt. Went and I went to shower. And went and took a shower. Got some fresh uh, change of clothes. And once again, the, uh, the bishop, at that time I just thought he was a pastor. He tells me, okay, can we go to church with you? Now I've gathered from conversation here that this guy has a church in Kayole. Mm. And in Kayole, I have drunk in the Soweto slums eh? many times. Mm. So I know my way around there. So even if he tells me, let's go to Kayole to church, I figure out it's okay. Mm. If I don't like the church, I'll dump him along those heads, go into Soweto, drink, and then I'll find my way back to Isili. Yeah. So I Kubali, he gives me 20 bob and he tells me, uh, go and shave. I decide upon a... Um, I decide this 20 bob, what I'm going to do is just keeping it in my pocket. So I decide I'll keep this 20 bob. When we come back, this is what I'll drink. We get in the car and we head. Kidogo, I get surprised. He doesn't take the road to Kayole. I see him taking thicker road. We are soon passing Utali where I used to bathe. <coughs> and heading towards Thika. When we pass the route of going into Thika town, I start wondering, what's this? Mm. 
and we go all the way to Kabati. Now Kabati happens to have a church there. Mm. And uh, Kabati is in Murang'a county actually. Mm. And when we reach there is when I realize this guy is not just a pastor man. I can see there the pa- other pastors Triti uh, and ETC and uh then he's ushered to the front there Ramia was taken to sit there at the back and um when his turn came to speak he spoke this was to be a turning point i i had you know, you know the orchestrations of god this was going to be the day my life would turn around i had no idea of it when he went to speak he spoke about a guy who had been where in his words he said where the rubber meets the road he spoke of a guy going through such problems going through such pain that amani i almost looked around the church to see who else he came with i mean i couldn't believe this is me he's talking about my the abnormal had become so normal to me that when i heard it spoken from somebody else i didn't think that was my life i didn't think that was me then eventually he calls me and tells me to give a testimony in front of the church and i was angry i was angry i was furious inside i was fuming this guy has just ibishad me bele out what he's just spoken about my life things that i am a I was even embarrassed hearing sitting back there. Mm. And then now he's asking me to stand in front of these guys and share my life with them. And I'm figuring out if these guys just want storytelling, yeah, why don't they stand up and give me their stories? After all, when them they don't have their issues and I'm all this I'm fuming inside and everything. But remember where I've come from. I've come from the street where you don't nobody gives you anything for nothing. Mm. In the streets you trust nobody. So I don't know this pastor very well. And this where logic had to kick in. Mm. What if I refuse to speak and he dumps me in Moranga? <laughs> <laughs> That's your fear. That's my fear. And that was what produced my first ever testimony. That was what unlocked my first ever testimony. It is the testimony I used to help to help other people to change their lives, to help others get off the streets. But it is what was locked inside me a money and would never have come out if we had gone to Kayole and he told me to do this in front of the Kayole church congregation, I would have, have walked it. away. Yeah. I would have walked away and my story would have ended there. I don't think would have ever met. I don't think I would ever bothered with the, uh, trying to help other guys come out of addictions or, or, or come out of the streets and things like that. But God so orchestrated it that I had to be out of town in a place where I couldn't find my way back. It was taken out of me. And you know what the amazing thing is? Sometimes these things we don't talk about. When we find release and speak about them, they cannot only help others, but they heal you. They heal us, it's true. When I started my testimony, that first one, 
26 March, the year 2000. I began, of course, telling guys in vernacular, because I was mostly a vernacular crowd, and I started by saying the words, when I came out of my sack this morning, and then I saw the guys look at me in a funny way, and I realized that they didn't come out of sacks. These people came out of beds. I started realizing just how abnormal my life had become. By the middle of that, of telling my story, Amani for me, there was no altar call. There was no there was nothing. I just felt a certainty that I would never drink again. I knew not thought, not hoped. I knew a hundred percent I would never drink again. I just knew. And we finished. And we left Kabati. We came back to Isili. Of course, on the way back in the car, a million thoughts are going through your mind. Are you sure, are you, sure you, can, you can stop alcohol? How are you going to survive outside in the streets and eat easy? But when we got to Isili, Bishop offered me to stay at the center and turn my life around. And I stayed and uh, shortly borrowed 500 shillings from him, bought some trinkets, just some to small chains and mirrors <clears throat> so that I could start going around easily, hooking those small items just so that I could learn to trust myself again. The business didn't bring more than 30 shillings a day. But I was able to know that I can keep 10, 20 shillings in my pocket without going to drink. Whereas before I would have sold the shirt of my back to get a tin of karobu. Now I could have 20, 30 shillings in my pocket and not go to drink. And for me, that was victory. I went out to the streets and called out those who were in the streets and told them about what God can do for somebody. Those who joined me. And from that time, I began to work with the bishop He's called Bishop Absalom Dungo. We began to work with him in helping other guys come off the streets. That's how I began work in this ministry. I'll tell you God. God is a God of wonders. In five years, I came out in the year 2026th March. By 2006, by right, 2006 there, mm. I had, first I'll just give you the highlights. If, yeah. uh, maybe I could take you through the step by step at another time. Mm. I'll just give you that. In those, in five, six years, I had married. Wow. I had bought land. Wow. I built a house. I had a car, I had children, what I had, and by 2006, 
2006 mwisho mwisho I was now heading a company called Tidman Globe it's an american company based in arizona i was their agent here they are in the used drugs industry the used drugs unajua they are the same guys who part of their product is mtumba mm. so i was uh, supplying mtumba for them to a few african countries wow in six years i was now flying around uh, taking mtumba hapa na pale i had made it back i had made it back financially and all seemed well as in six years that's a miracle that's a miracle so god so there is nothing <laughs> part of this part of this uh, part of the, part of the step by step i have a book i've published a book what's the name called, of your book the book is called chokora my life is an addict how, how can we find this book uh now in fact I, i i wish to deliver to you a number of copies those who get in touch with you you are my contacts because i don't have them in the bookshops or something okay uh, i've just been printing them and distributing them send me send me send me a bunch so we're going to sell them send here. you a bunch and you could uh, sell them right from here yeah we'll um, sell them right from here yes so now the, uh, there is that eh? But here's the thing man. This is what I want us to really 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 critically look at because you have watched my trajectory. You have watched me from a uh, from a middle class guy right up at the top and come crashing down. You've seen me hit rock bottom. Then it's a story I tell guys and guys look at me like in amazement like if you ever hit this place it will not be understandable. Mm. how you could ever relapse here i have again reason i now have a family yeah i have kids i have a responsible job i'm making a lot of money once again yeah but here is the thing at this point when i got out of addiction mm-hmm. i never dealt with any underlying issues as well to speak to addicts when you speak to anybody who's, who's gone through this this thing and even to their caregivers who wonder why is it a person goes to rehabilitation comes out seems to succeed goes back into that cycle over and over and over and over and over and over and over again there is some something simple you just never dealt with what your underlying issues are you're just not dealing with the root cause you're just not dealing with what it is that sababisha due to start that mm, thing in the, the first place. place you are going to a rehab and cutting off the branches the root remains and once uh, you come out and you face some tough situations you find yourself back in the cycle what, what was yours Seven years my friend Seven years from the year 2000 to the year 2007 everybody looked at me like a success story i was going up in the world i was a perfect christian i said amen and hallelujah and i was present in church and i the first say six years i didn't notice because i was too busy success equaled making enough money mm. remember i had been deprived mm. And I've also enjoyed a good childhood in my in my youth so I want to give that to my children and I want to make that so the first six years were basically spent looking and making the money 
uh, by the year 2006 i had that the money wasn't a problem anymore and now that you you have a little bit of uh, time to think things and that issues that sumbua you are still there you still a christian oh, what but are those the, issues but you are you? The, but you are the christian and i'm going to get to that mm. but you are those christians who are spoken of in the book of Timothy who have a form of godliness but deny the power oh. they are in mm. to you there are things that can't be forgiven to you there are people you can't forgive mm. no matter that the bible says forgive so you be forgiven to you uh-uh, there are situations you will never forgive you keep on carrying that mzigo and that mzigo keeps on working on you and messing you and 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 messing you up um in the year 2007 at the height of my career i began to drink once again and i'll tell you the years 2000 because i started drinking at the end of 2007 within 2 3 4 weeks of drinking i quit my job and shortly after kicked out my family and decided kukunywa you know where the bible speaks a man it says that when the devil has been kicked out usually comes back to check if his house has been has been uh, occupied and if he finds it unoccupied he goes and comes back with, with seven, seven demons yeah mimi yangu nafikiri alienda akakuja na 14 my life 2008 2009 was lived like the life of a madman i won't dwell too much into it but it was more or less the life of a madman i was not in the streets but i was almost going crazy the things i did i looked mad and this time nobody could even understand how could you have gone up that way and then you come crashing down like this and God is good that at the end of I don't dwell too much on that chapter but at the end of 2009 I having tried to get back into rehab for over 10 times I was able to finally get in and make a commitment back to the same rehabilitation center that I now run GLC I was able to now walk in make a commitment and make up my mind that I would I would serve God I would uh, sort out my issues including the underlying issues that had led me back because by then I knew what my problems were so 2010 I was back in GLC uh, we continued to work with the bishop at this time I went in search of answers to my own issues. And I will take you a little bit back because I know I will give you an example with my issues just one or two. Because I know each of us out there are probably trying to figure out uh, what it is what is it that is underlying for you. Some might be so deep in your subconscious you don't even realize it until you start talking about it and then it starts coming out. But for me until some of the issues I had and for this Amani I'll allow I'll ask you to allow me 
to go right back because we started out in Consolata Primary. And Consolata Primary, as you mentioned, with a handful of black kids and stuff like that, must have been a classy environment, nakila kitu, looks very privileged, right? I was at the age of about maybe seven years old or so. Now, kindly let's go back to between zero to seven years old. And that is where many of my problems that manifested later in adulthood began. Sometimes you may you may be listening to my story, you might start looking what happened in my 20s, nini, nini, nini. But after being with counselors now for some time, I come to realize that most of my problems began in the zero to seven years. Let me tell you my story. I was born in the village, Hapa Kabete, a place called King Hero, to a 14-year-old girl. I was born January 8th, 1966. By 15th of January, she had gone to secondary, as barely a week later. I grew up knowing my grandmother was my mother. Wow. And I grew up, I think that was the happiest period of my life, Amani. Just running up and down, sliding down every muddy slope in the village, going to the river to bathe, you go to hunt birds and that kind of thing. Life was peaceful, life was blissful. There were no worries. We were poor. My grandmother lived in a madhouse. But which kid knows they are poor? It's only society that points out to people that they are poor. When you're a kid, you don't realize. You're just a happy kid who feels loved and appreciated. And I felt loved. And so, that was my early life. I went by one single name, Gitau. And uh, I remember early nursery school, uh, Kabuden nursery school there in the village. We just sang uh, <clears throat> ABCD and drank porridge <laughs> and slept. <laughs> I know it was it was great. And just as I entered standard one in the local ACK primary school there, my life began to change. Now, this was uh, about six years old or so. I remember from the time my mother gave birth and went away, she also built her life. She went on and completed her fourth form. She went, she was a beautiful woman. Mm. She got employed as an air hostess on the East African Airways. East African Airways is where she met Captain Abubakar Kilanga and they decided to get married. The most I knew about this woman was that Nduta, her name is Nduta. Mm. The most I knew about her was my elder sister or something. So, um, I've just started off Standard One Pale in the local uh, primary school there. There, those days there was no English. Even if you learn like English word, it's probably, <laughs> it is interpreted for you into your mother tongue. <laughs> so, that, so, so that you can understand it. And uh, so Kidogo, we are informed, uh, Duta is getting married. Ah, it's, uh, that's good. And uh, fuck, next time I come, I will bring you a photograph of me at that at that at that wedding. At the wedding, yeah. And uh, I'm right there. I'm a page boy at the wedding. I'm there. I have photographs of me in a nice 
And I have no idea this woman is my mother. Wow. And they get married and they go. A few weeks later she comes to the village with her new husband. And for the first time I am informed, this is your mother and you are going to live with her. Now, I don't know if you can imagine what goes on in the mind of a six-year-old kid because all your security, the serenity of the village, everything is destroyed in that one instance. Kicking and screaming, I was dragged from the village. And that is when I was brought to what is today 87 Raptor Road. That was where the East African Airways Missionettes used to be. It's a circular compound consisting of about nine or so houses. <coughs> and um, all the back all the back windows uh, face towards one common field. Mm. About three black families. I think two black families and an Asian family. Everybody else was white. Now, one of the most amazing things I remember is standing at the back window gazing. First of all, the shock that this, uh, there was a tree house. Mm. I mean, this is something I never even imagined in the village. There were a lot of trees, but nobody yeah. ever thought you could build a tree up there. But all these white kids who were sitting, who were They are playing. You know, in the village, you're all the same color. There are no white people. Where have you ever come across white people? And this is your first interaction with white guys. You would like to go out and play with them as a child. But you have your limitations. You don't know the language. So all you can do is just sit at the back window and stare out and avoid them. Um, that was one. Two, you have been brought by your mother and you don't, you, you know, in the village, you just, sometimes you wash your hands, sometimes you don't, and you just sit and eat whatever is uh, proffered before you. But here, your mother wants you to learn etiquette. You can't get seated with a new husband here. You don't know how to use a fork and knife and stuff like that. So the first port of call sit in the kitchen and there's a maid and a cook to teach you social etiquette, to teach you the placement of, cut, uh, of cutlery and stuff like that. And all you feel is like a monkey being made to perform tricks. My hate began there. I've been picked from my home in the village. I'd been brought here to perform useless tricks. Fidogo, uh, from there, taken to Nairobi Primary School. Ah, to, I was taken Consolata. to Consolata Primary School first. Mm. I've gone to Consolata, I told you I don't have any knowledge of the English language. language. Mm. Those days, there was just a handful of black kids and the other, the, the subordinate staff were black. As you go to this school, you look around you, you can't hear what these people are saying. The white kids you can avoid at home. I mean, you can stay in the house. But now here you can't avoid anybody because you're, you're, you're in school with them. And so anytime a white kid laughs, facing in your direction, you imagine it's you. Mm. And very quickly I learned that, uh, you know, after taking this for some time, I started becoming angry inside. And one day I punched a white kid. 
tired and fled in tears. And I knew this is the answer. This is how to handle these guys. Mm. And from there I became a violent kid. Of course, not all uh, not all the kids were weak. I mean, some beat uh, <laughs> some beat me properly. But uh, you see, at least you start getting gaining some grudging respect from these kids. To use that as like a respect builder and as a way to make you feel so feel okay. As even as you are trying to learn the the, the, the English language at home. Uh, so so this is school. Remember, at Apashule, you didn't even have another name. You know me, I always felt like, a, what, a second thought. Because you only you, had guitar. I had only, yes. But the, day, the time when we came to be registered at Consolata, it was just a story of when we had the registration there. You know, and my mother, I think even her, realized this one name can't just be put. And she told me, you are Solomon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so it, it it was not in your original birth certificate. It was not. No, those things came. Those things came by day. But me, in fact, those things came later. My dad adopted me. Those names were added, stuff like that. But by that time, I was simply known as Kitau. It was like I was a calf thought. Because even when we went, you usually you are taking a child to school. Mefikapale, kumbuchao, you are called Kitau. No, I mean you are called Solomon. So even in school, kids are calling you Solomon. You're not even sure who they are addressing, but you are still having issues with that. But then again, my father, my stepfather was Muslim. His full name. And by the way, we're very good friends now. But that wasn't the case then. He's called Abu Bakr Kilanga. And being Muslim, he's married my mother and he would like me also to practice Islam. So, it's made known to the school authorities. Remember, Consolata is a shule that has even got a Friday Mass for mm. students. It's a Catholic school. It's Catholic. So, there's even Friday Mass. Yeah. So, CRE lessons, now you are taken out of CRE lessons and you are taken out even of Friday Mass. Because you're Muslim. But you're sitting outside there with Muslim boys who are asking you, you are called Solomon. So where are you? Muslim? You can't explain to them, leave alone, explain to yourself so. what all this Islam stuff is about. And all I knew was it. My world was just a confused world. And all I knew was it. And I blamed everything on my mother. One thing I saw is that I would learn the English language so well that nobody would ever laugh at me for my incapability to communicate in it. And I did. But the hate began growing. There. The anger began there. And when you go at the same time, remember, I'm not yet seven years old. At the same time, my grandmother, remember, was the person I loved most in my life. Now, she's given me to this, to my mother. Mm. But you go back to the village and Every time she's on my case. Uh, let me say this in Kikuyu, and then, I'll, then I will translate So can just say it. Her biggest question was, Do you know, these people, <laughs> <laughs> these people, today might sound tribalistic, but yeah. this, this, you see, to them, a four, a four, it means 
I, when she took me from the village and took tossed me into consolata, I felt very bad about that. But here, what was she to do? She wanted the best for her child. She was creating opportunity for you. She was creating you. opportunity. When I felt like a useless mon- like a monkey being taught useless tricks, that that um those skills have served me well in other places. So basically, I could now sit and start seeing the sacrifices my mother made for me and stop just blaming her for everything that went wrong and stop attaching every mistake that i make to her because of if she had not if she had not if she had not if she had not and i could start facing what are my roles in this and first of all when i was able to do that i can tell you i lifted a major weight off my shoulders i forgive my mother all i regret is that she died in 2002 it took me up to about to about 2017 to get it all figured out just three years ago I was able to really really figure it out and I I regret that but the thing is that's what I was talking about addressing some underlying issues underlying issues because there are underlying issues so what we do is we have are are not our program yeah hold on let me just say i've never recorded a podcast like this before i have not spoken for all of 10 minutes on this pod and this is episode 2 of this conversation we're already an hour and a half in and that's an incredible story solomon awesome. i cannot thank you enough for sharing this story I don't know what to say. Uh, I have a lot to process, but I'll also tell you this that part of the story, in fact this last part of the story you've shared is for me. It's for me to figure out some of my own stuff that I need to figure out. Yeah. You're working for GLC now, which is Global Now Greater Life Greater Life Concern. Concern. Greater Life Concern is the same uh, ministry the bishop started, eh? Now uh, understand that way back starting something like this in 1996 nobody would have joined you on board. Yeah. So we just helped him where we could but in 2018 the bishop passed on. Oh no. When he passed on some of us who like me who had passed through that and you know the, the bishop's son also uh, I call uh, Pastor John Dungo and some other people felt that we could not let this work just disappear. It has helped yeah. hundreds, if not thousands, of men. And so we called together some friends, um, and uh, we, we decided we would uh, tackle the legal issues to make this uh, a thing uh, more public. Uh, get a board and things like that. Bring a lot of people on board to help us in this cause, and that is what we did. So now GLC is just run by a board of. Uh, well wishers and guys i i i am the ceo i'm the guy tasked with the day to day running the coordination of everything but i have a board that helps me and i am also hopeful that uh, guys like you will visit see where you can fit in because we we invite everyone 
to come in. This is an initiative for men. If it's been able to help you, I swear it's maybe been able to help somebody else out there. Walk in and see what hope, support you can offer to this program. I don't know if you've heard this story, but this is a story of a man who has walked the entire spectrum of growing up in the village, living a middle-class lifestyle, going to live in the streets. First, you know, there's the streets and then there's a lodging where you share a bed. And back to fix his life and his story and not just that, helping other men right now. Men that you would ordinarily ordinarily not look at men that will never give a chance because like he said no one gives a street man an ear street woman will be listened to street child will be listened to but street man is a source of fear is a threat and he was one of them and he's saying today what you're doing is rehabilitating rescuing those people Yes, and reconciling them back and with their families. Reconciling them with their families, and I'll be I'll uh, be glad to share with you some clips of some members of families when they come for. Bring them. I will show. throw them through my social media. Everyone in Nairobi and, is going to see them, and you can see that because what we do is we we work on four hours. The first hour is the rescue, move from the physical environment. The second hour is the rehabilitation through the Word of God. The third R is reconciliation to God and to man. It's always easier with God. God is always waiting. But with relatives, sometimes... No, we're not ready. We're not so ready. You're not, relatives are sometimes not ready. Yeah. But so what we do is form a community of support so that such a person can have others who, who understand him and can support him. Yeah. And then we reintegrate them back to the community. Because many of our guys are from the streets. We don't do a 90-day program and tell them a guy, hey, you are clean. No. We try to find work for the person while he's there. We have a halfway house program where the person works while still living at the center until they are able to put together a bit of resources, get purchase a bed, castove, or move into a place of their own. And you now, even if they reconcile with their people, it makes the reconciliation easier. Because one thing, and this is the economic reality, a guy who comes from the street, he's clean, he doesn't do drugs, even physically he's clean. If he goes back to his relatives, without a shilling in his pocket or a way to make a, a living, in a very short time the honeymoon is over and they've fallen out. He'll go back to the street. But if he goes... With a source of income, with a way that he's able to add a shilling to their collective income, he will be welcomed. And that is what we try to ensure. Solomon, tell me, how can we support you? Well, we, as I said, this ministry is run really on the efforts of well-wishers. We have a residential facility, so there is rent. We have, uh, we have staff who we employ down there to run day-to-day things there. We are hardly able to pay most of these staff members. There are many bills that we need to settle. So may I can give you my... Uh, I have an M. Changa pay bill number. Okay. 
The pay bill number is 891300. Okay. The account is GLC. All right. Uh if you could if you would wish to uh, contribute into that, that will help us, that will go a long way. Okay. But we would also want to invite anybody who is within Nairobi. Get in touch with me. My telephone number is uh 0715 8740094 I would like to invite you to the center you can see for yourself what you are how you are able to plug in as God helps you because some people can offer training some people can offer counseling some people can offer you know there's a wide variety of things you can offer but even if not that even to come and sit with people and encourage them just one day in a very long time make it even a one time event just come and sit with people humanize them make them feel they are part of society that greatly helps if you have clothes always in need of clothes remember when i talked about when i came out of the streets and the, i can remember it's been 20 years i can remember i have bought many clothes along the way but i still remember the first grey trousers green pair of slippers a white shirt kwanza zile za cufflinks na haikuwa na cufflinks kwa hivyo mikono ilikuwa mirefu but those clothes made me feel human to somebody else they might have been something they wanted to use as a duster they just thrown it at the back of the closet i appeal to you today if you have clothes kindly bring them over and i'm sure uh, through a money i can be able to even if you are to contact a money we can be able to set up how we can um, how we can all work together uh, you could uh, take a look um, about you could also write to me on sgetaok@gmail.com uh, and you can take a look at our website greaterlifeconcernmin.org so the greater life concern mean min min yeah, yeah. greater life concern ministry. ministry okay so it's greater life concern min.org that's ours is still being developed but you get some information there I'm going to put all this information all on, this. On, on an Instagram post and I'm going to put them on the show notes of this yes. of this episode. But Solomon, I am so grateful that you've chosen to share your story with me. You said it earlier, two of our friends insisted that we meet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's a very funny thing because I have a big shout out to Amboi Serere very much because Amboi Serere insisted in June last year. Wow. Oh and uh, I even have the note to go and meet uh, Amani. Amani is a friend of mine. Go and meet talk this story with him. Uh things came up and then Tony came along and said no, go and meet Amani. And here we are. God works in mysterious ways, man. We have to close this session and I I don't know how to I don't know how to close it. I you've had his appeal plug in and I want to say I, I know the guys who listen to this uh podcast have places and issues uh that we already plugged in and are concerned about but I've not had a more moving story in a long time and so please let's change the lives of this man god bless you thank you bana gitao karibu sana You're going to live here with some clothes. 
because I now I now I now know what to do with them. Yes. So uh, <laughs> if, if, if it's what I have right now, I wish I had more. Asante sana. Kile kitu iko tutashukuru. I appreciate it. God bless you.